0: Good afternoon, patriots. You are listening to Living With Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about Leah Thomas, the U.S. making demands from a place of weakness, Putin becoming more unhinged, and finish up with some economics. Next, on Living With Liberty... What does a world devoid of absolutes and truth get you? Leah Thomas, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer who has been smashing women's collegiate swimming records. That's what it gets you. Truthfully, the NCAA should never have bowed to the Wokians and allowed him to compete against women. There's a reason we have men's and women's sports. It's actually been quite disappointing that we haven't seen women fighting harder to keep the biological males out of their sports. And truthfully, to keep the biological males from being award, uh, awarded things like Woman of the Year. It's been disgusting to see and hear how stunning and brave and great Leah is. Now, let's be real. He was a less than mediocre male swimmer, ranked 462nd amongst the men. Leah Thomas is someone who underwent the required hormonal therapy in order to compete as a woman, and that hormonal therapy. Basically amounts to being as effective as a COVID therapeutic injection when it comes taking to taking away the advantage in strength and body type a male has over a female. And he did this just to compete as a woman swimmer, and now he is the number one woman swimmer in the collegiate pool, having just won the championships last last week, I believe it was, and all along the way has been smashing and obliterating the records in women's swimming. This isn't stunning and brave. It's pathetic. It's pathetic that we've seen mediocre people, mediocre males in particular, I'm going to call out the males here. It's pathetic to see that Instead of working harder or better at your craft, you just go and jump into a different pool, so to speak, where you can dominate. It's absolutely pathetic. Or, better yet, just realize that I enjoy doing this. Maybe it's more of a hobby for me at this point. I'm never going to be an Olympic uh, competition swimmer. I'm not going to rise Anywhere out of the 460s in terms of my collegiate ranking. Maybe I just do it as a hobby to get some exercise. Instead of doing that, let's invade women's sports and and, and just totally discount everything they've worked for from, you know, whenever, suffrage and beyond up until this point. Let's just totally do that. Let's just throw truth and absolute's out the window, and I feel like, a, I'm call me Shania Twain because I feel like a woman. I am going to take this hormonal therapy, and I'm going to jump into women's swimming, or I'm going to jump into Biden's administration as the first woman to do whatever. Pathetic. Thomas has taken opportunity away from actual female swimmers to become an All-American. There's... Uh, this would piss me off if I were uh, one of the parents of these female swimmers, or or one of the swimmers themselves that I couldn't become an all-American because Leah Thomas was in the pool and I finished just outside the the ranking needed in these championships to become an all-American. That did happen. Look it up. He's smashed women's swimming records at the collegiate level to the point that actual women will likely never ever touch them. Now before you say Ryan you're you're being unfair you're kind of being a de canoe here about this. Let's con-, con let's just consider a few things. And and first I'll throw myself out there. Let's just start with me. Let's just start with uh looking at this from a perspective of myself an average Joe, that doesn't train to do much of anything except lift a beer, you know, to his lips these days. Now, I'm a 42 year old man with a dad bod. That yeah, might be still somewhat an athletic dad bod, but it's a dad bod nonetheless. And even though injuries, age, and probably beer consumption have robbed me of a portion of my athleticism, I still have an advantage over women when it comes to athletic competitions that require speed and strength and i can still probably beat most females especially those that don't train for any particular sport maybe even some that do in an athletic competition just based on the fact that i'm bigger and stronger and not in the pool i've never been much of a swimmer so we'll throw that one out um uh, but probably a lot of other ones uh, and i'm not i'm not being braggadocious here i'm not saying that women aren't great at sports and what they do they absolutely are there's some very fantastic lady athletes out there but when it comes to looking at things why we have two different sports uh called divisions whatever you want to call it male and female it's because males are bigger stronger and faster than the vast majority of females out there i'll, I'll put this out there too i i think yeah, female track athletes definitely are going to probably beat me in a race you know but they're again they're training to be track athletes i'm getting out of my couch and i don't like running that much anyway but again i'm not i'm not bragging here i'm not and, and I'm not saying anything that's untrue. I am bigger, faster, and stronger than most females out there. So if it were to come to an athletic competition, a 42-year-old man with a dad bod is probably going to win. So now you think about this, and let me think. say this for a moment here. Also, you think about this. I, Who do you think people call when they need help moving something? Who do you think my wife calls? When she needs something moved, it's certainly not her that's going to be moving it. My friends and whoever else aren't calling my wife, who is a foot shorter than I am, to come move something. They'll call me. So if a 42-year-old ex-beer league softball player can still outcompete and out-muscle most women, how much more advantage is a biological male, hormones or not, hormone therapy or not, who has been training for said specific sport or event, how much more advantage is that biological male going to have over the females they are now being allowed to compete against? Now, let's think about this for a second, too. Let, let's put some more context around it. Now, I'm six foot one, so I'm not small by any means. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than, you know, a, a lot of even the males out there. The word on Leah Thomas, the best I could find, is that he is at least 6'1", probably more like 6'4". The Penn website, and nothing I could find within the NCAA records unless I missed it, nothing I could find out there. Won't list his actual measurements. So this is all estimates. You look at pictures. There's a picture of him standing with his coach, male coach, probably about 5'11", foot, and he towers over that male coach. The average woman in the United States is 5'4". So generally speaking, Thomas is up to a foot taller than the majority of his competition. What do you think that does to your advantage when you're a foot taller to your competition? They're foot taller than your competition. What kind of advantage do you have when you're a foot taller than your competition? Imagine someday some seven-foot behemoth decided they couldn't cut it in the NBA. They took the Shania Twain approach decided to feel like a woman, did whatever they had to do, and went and competed in the WNBA. WNBA. What? That, that seven-footer, that's probably 260 pounds, what advantage do you think they're going to have over the women playing in the WNBA who probably trend towards the taller side of females as it is anyway? That's what we're talking about here. Just the, the, the physical size. Differential, first of all. Now, also think about the body type differences between males and females. And particularly when you think about swimmers. Male swimmers are typically long and lean, hence, we've got a six foot four Leah Thomas out there, right? Long, lean, flat front and back, wide at the shoulders, and a low body fat, narrow at the hips, low body fat. What does that equate to? What kind of advantage does that equate to? Leverage and hydrodynamics. Kind of Hydrodynamics is like the aerodynamics for the water. Think back to your physics, physics class, and what was more effective at moving a heavy load or, or getting a heavy load out of the way? A short lever or a long lever? What generated better hydrodynamics, aerodynamics, if you will? something that was flat and lean or something that had curvature and more surface area to it. Same concepts apply when it comes to swimming. The longer the lever, think a person's arms, the width of their shoulders, the more effective they will be at moving themselves through the water because they're able to generate more power and they're able to move a lot more volume of the water the flatter the chest and back are and back meaning all the way down through the legs the less resistance there is for the water to move around that person so it's kind of like like a a dolphin shooting through the water right that kind of thing where the water is just gliding over this person the lower the body fat count The less surface area there is in contact with the water, again, making it better and easier for the water to flow around the body, resulting in better propulsion through the water. Consider that or contrast that with a woman's body. Shorter overall, shorter arms, more narrow at the shoulders, wider at the hips, curvier body. And it, it, to to be healthy, I researched this, and to, to maintain, they have uh, a, a woman in order to to ensure all systems are running normally, uh, cycles and everything. They have to maintain a higher body fat; otherwise, they run run the risk of of kind of the the uh, their cycles being off and and kind of maybe doing some harm to their ability to have children later in life. So, so they are two different body types, two different needs in terms of maintaining that body. Now, the shorter arms and narrow shoulders mean there's less leverage. A curvier body, wider hips with a higher body fat content means the hydrodynamics of a whim, of a woman are significantly different. The water will flow around them differently. They're definitely not flat front and back. So the water has more... Uh, has to take a, a longer path around their body in order to, to get them through the pool. The rules need to change. Your plumbing determines your competition, period. If you were born a male, then you compete as a male, no matter if you like to play dress-up or not. If you are a mediocre male, work to get better, find something else to do. Find something that you're good at, that or just just use the drive you have to be the best to to try and be the best. Not everybody can be number one. That period. At The end of the day, get get to a point where you feel good about you did your best, and your best is going to have to be good enough for where your lot in life is. That's just the way you got to look at it. Not everybody's going to be an Olympic swimmer and or, or an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete. We shouldn't be allowing males particular, shouldn't be allowing them to take a useless hormone therapy and then compete with the ladies. It's just not fair. The the there's still a huge advantage in body type, muscle mass, size, everything. We were created male and female for a reason. We both have we each have our own purpose in God's design. That's why we are the way we are. God certainly could have created all males or all females and been done with it. And we ought to all have the same body type. Right? But we, we have our specific purposes and, and we have to have the competition to keep it fair you know and the most interesting thing about this is the the groups celebrating this and I'll get to more of this in a minute too but the groups selling celebrating this are the ones that scream the loudest about stuff not being fair yet they they go and celebrate the leah Thomases of the world and say how stunning brave and great they are these people aren't these people aren't serious it just another thing that just irks me is The hypocrisy of it all. Okay, so more. uh, More. We've got some more here. We're sticking with the men LARPing as women topic. Now, apparently Rachel Levine has been named Woman of the Year by USA Today. So what do we have here? Another mediocre man who goes the stunning and brave route ends up being one of the Biden regime's checkbox hires, is still plumbed as a dude, yet wins woman of the year. So we have men winning women's competitions everywhere these days, and there's still very few willing to call a spade a spade and say, oh, by the way, it's our turn to call out that this isn't fair, this isn't right, this isn't truth, it's not absolute. There, there's I realize that being an absolute you know, I try not to be an absolutist. There's very few absolutes in this world. Male and female are one of those very few absolutes. There, there's no questioning it. You are what you are, you are what God created you to be. And it's disappointing that there's still very few seemingly willing to call a spade a spade and say, no, this is crap, let's not stand for it. Even worse, the ones who cry the most about the white male patriarchy of this country are going around celebrating these wins by, now wait for it, white males. I'll guarantee you it's all fun and games for these people until. It's their daughter that gets beat out for a sports scholarship by Roberta, who used to go by Robert. Then their tune will change. A lot of times what drives change, and unfortunately what needs to happen to drive change sometimes, is someone's got to be affected by it or enough people got to be affected by it. That's what we're seeing now within our country. Enough people are infect, uh, affected by things like inflation, inflation and high gas prices and just bad overall policy that you have people of all stripes clamoring for change and realizing what a horrible administration and government we truly have. That's what needs to, uh, unfortunately, that may be what needs to happen here is we have so many, it's not right, but we'll have so many top female athletes getting beat out for sports scholarships to university of their choice because Roberta, who used to be Robert, decided there's my ticket to free college education. Or their parents say though and their parents just enable it. So, oh you're oh yeah, you're pretty yeah, as a as a dude you suck at sports, but hey, go yeah, get you know Change your name go go be Roberta go and uh, uh, compete against the, the the girls and the women We'll need a I, I hope it doesn't come to that, but I feel like it will that we'll need a, a, a critical mass of of this happening before things change because now it's their kid that's getting affected. And you know what? All this crap is why the left is not a serious set of people. It's the hypocrisy. It's the, oh, we're white male patriarchy. We got to dismantle the white male patriarchy. Yet, oh, we've got white males winning females competitions. So everything's okay then because they're stunning and brave. What a load of garbage. Absolute crap. They tell us to follow the science and then celebrate men dominating women's sports and women's awards. They totally ignore the biological differences, which is actual science. Biology is science. Let's just ignore the scientific differences in males and females. You know, the, the actual things you can see, touch, and, and and look at that's right in front of you, not just some made up political nonsense. You may ask yourself then too, when when does this all stop? When does all this nonsense stop? I mean, it stops when society starts to not accept this denigration of women, kind of what I was getting to before. It probably is going to have to affect a critical mass of people. It stops when we decide we are not going to play the left's pronoun Russian roulette and start calling a spade a spade. It stops when we stop giving an inch Under the perception of being considerate or because we back away because someone on the left with their nose in a schnit that sits on the fringe says we're being homophobic or misogynistic or whatever else they want to call us. That's when this stops, is when we stop caring what these morons think of us. A while back, I did an episode on the decline of our civilization. One of the symptoms of a civilization in decline was the denigration of women. Now look around. We certainly are, and I said it then and I'm saying it now, we certainly are a civilization in decline. We have out-of-control violence everywhere, especially when you look at our big cities. That was one of the, the, the factors. Facts are ignored. Propaganda reigns. That was one of the factors. And women are being denigrated, another one of the factors. Now, you could argue that women have been denigrated for years thanks to the hip-hop culture. I don't disagree. But allowing men to compete in women's sports, naming a man as woman of the year, coupled with the referring to women as in just what the lowest of low terms just taking away their identity period and just calling them birthing people or bleeders is the ultimate slap in the face it's the ultimate denigration of women that you're that that they're being reduced down to what part of their function is in God's design and that is being the ones that carry our children and birthing our children that's the ultimate denigration of somebody when you reduce them down to what their core function is. Unbelievable! It doesn't take into account anything else other than you're just a birthing person or a bleeder. And Notice at least, at least I haven't noticed any. Anyway, if you've noticed something, shoot me an email. Send send it to Ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com If you've seen this, but. Again, I go back to the ones screaming about the white male patriarchy are the same ones calling women birthing people or bleeders and aren't saying anything about it to that respect in terms of, of men and reducing them down to some lowest common denominator. We are a civilization in decline, period. I mean, doesn't all of this just scream that society no longer values women? certainly does to me. Women have fought for years, and to a certain degree they might still. they fought for years to have things like their own sports teams and leagues so they wouldn't have to compete against men. So the playing field would be level. And mediocre men have found a way to go from sports zero to a sports hero. Historians are going to look back at this time period and go WTF. Hopefully they'll have enough sense to throw out any sports records sent by poser women. Now there's a bit of good news on this. Some women are actually standing up to this. I'll link a couple of articles in the description box of how. First the New York Post link that I that I'll have to the article uh, on Leah Thomas we'll have a link to an article in that one about how Leah Thomas's own teammates tried to get him banned from competing. I believe there's another article out there. I don't think I have the link to it, but Virginia tech swimmer, who I think is actually from Hungary or something. If I remember right, the story's out there. Um, But she was speaking out against how Big of a load of crap, this is all this all has been with Leah Thomas competing and knocking uh, actual females out of the running for things like All American uh, uh, awards and things like that. So, I'll link those articles in the description box for you. Two great pieces. Now, all of this is reversible. We just have to have the fortitude to speak truth and not back down because some maniac screamed at us for calling it like we see it, for some maniac screaming at us, calling us names. Who cares what some maniac who doesn't even know you says about you? All right. So how successful do you think anybody is negotiating from a position of weakness? I don't think the Biden regime understands how negotiations work. Typically, if you are going to make demands, you are in a position of strength to do so. You have something of value that you know is of value that other people, other entities want. But since we live in a fantasy land where our resident in chief thinks he has more power than he actually does, his lackeys try to dictate the dictate. The terms of trade to other countries. Now, the latest one being Venezuela. You may have seen this story. You, you all know I'm out campaigning. Some of these I, I don't, I don't get to uh, since I've been doing my show regularly. You may have seen this, but if if you follow me on social media, you, you have. I think I posted this one out there. But so the latest one is Venezuela. I have a Reuters story. A link in the description box about how the Biden regime thought they could go and dictate terms of trade for oil to the Venezuelan government. Instead of opening our drilling back up, instead of issuing permits uh, for land that has actual oil, actual productive potential beneath it, this incompetent uh, administration continues to try and get other countries to sell us oil. Saudi Arabia told us to go pound sand. I'm assuming Venezuela is going to do the same. I have a thought here on what is actually going on with this whole charade. But first I want to dig into the demands made by our 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 officials to Venezuela. Now this is from the Reuters piece. It says this. U.S. officials have demanded Venezuela supply at least a portion of oil exports to the United States as part of any agreement to ease oil trading sanctions. So that's pretty sweet. We just go to Venezuela like a petulant two-year-old who wants that candy bar, and we do it with no leverage and say, give me that oil if you want your sanctions removed. We have no leverage whatsoever to say, Venezuela, you are going to have to ship a portion of your oil here if you want those sanctions to go away. We have no leverage to do that whatsoever. Venezuela knows we've turned off our flow of oil. Venezuela knows we banned Russian oil. If anybody here has the leverage, it's Venezuela. Venezuela should be saying, and I'm sure they are, that if you want our oil, you're going to have to remove our sanctions. That, how stupid are the people running our country? Venezuela knows that we have gone from being energy independent to the poor beggar on the street corner for oil. Venezuela knows the American population isn't happy with our gas prices. And that we are demanding something be done about it. And the thing is, is we can do something about it ourselves. We don't need to go with our hand out to other countries or go demanding of other countries that they give us some oil. Venezuela is in the position to dictate terms, not us, and I would expect that they have done so or are doing so already. Just what an absolute clown show. All right, anyway, now for my take. I don't really think this is a good faith effort to try and increase oil supply. This is an effort to make it seem like our government is trying to do something to bring gas uh, prices down. They want to make it seem like they are willing to do something, but there's just no cooperation from Venezuela. So they can go and they can continue then to push their disastrous green agenda. They can say, "Well, well, we can't get any oil. So, you know, put up more windmills. Get that eighty thousand dollar Tesla. Put solar panels up on your house. We, we can't get any more oil or gas, and we're not going to pump anymore. The Biden regime has no intention of increasing our oil supply. If they did, if they did, new permits would be issued for land that actually has oil under it that actually has the the potential for productive wells and and wells that are productive for decades under it no oil company is going to go and and put a well up somewhere where they're only going to extract oil for a year the the costs are too much the investment's too much to do that there's not enough time to spread that investment over but we've got economic buffoons running the show so we could If they wanted, if this regime wanted to increase our oil supply and lower our prices, they'd start issuing permits for productive wells immediately, and they would put the Keystone Pipeline back in the works for completion. But no, no, they are going to double and triple down. They're going to give the illusion that they're doing something, and then they're going to keep pushing under the fear of climate change, which is a the a hoax. I think more and more people are waking up to that, but they're going to continue to, to to try and justify it through that as well to push the green agenda here. This beggar on the street corner approach is just a show. It makes it seem like they're making an attempt to get more oil into our our refineries into our market into the world market so gas prices go down and it's just so the overlords this whole dog and pony show is so the overlords can tell us peasants to replace our vehicles with Teslas all right on vladimir putin he's seemingly becoming more and more unhinged as the war with ukraine drags on now he gave a speech last week that sounded very stalinesque. And and that's not s- any surprise. It's no secret that Putin idolizes Stalin and has done everything in his power to restore the image and and um and the uh just the prestige of Stalin in Russia. So it's not surprising that he gave a speech that conjured up images of authoritarian Russia under Stalin. Putin is, after all, an authoritarian himself. Honestly, some of the quotes from the speech are very similar to those we have heard from our own elected officials, from our own resident-in-chief, as the left has pushed us closer to an authoritarian style of government. Now, what I'll do is I'll read you a couple of lines from Putin's speech. And this is all from a a Yahoo article that I'll link in the description box. All right, first one. Putin said true Russians would always be able to distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors. Presumably a reference to Russians who have protested his invasion of Ukraine in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Thousands with the means to do so have left Russia, which is facing widespread cultural and economic isolation. Now. All this sounds very, very familiar, doesn't it? Belittling those who value freedom and liberty, belittling those who value the autonomy of sovereign nations, and we've got people with means moving out of places that are heavy-handed, places that they that they help contribute to the heavy-handedness. This is all part of the propaganda war Putin is waging. Every American should be able to see this clearly as we have been getting beaten over the head with it for six years from our own media and government officials. You don't agree with us, so you are a scum and a traitor to our country. That equates out to our government and uh, elected officials calling us racist and homophobes and raging white people because we won't go along with their ridiculous Ideology that is grounded in nothing else but fantasy and feelings. Feelings don't equal logic and truth. Feelings are valid, but they don't, at the end of the day, because I feel something doesn't make it true. A couple of other notes on the Putin speech here. Uh, again, from the piece in his unsettling remarks, Putin lashed out at national traitors he blamed for undermining the war he launched against Ukraine. Again, sounds familiar, right? What happens when your distorted world uh, worldview and your plans uh, created through that distorted worldview go awry? What ha- what what happens when you when you when that happens? And all of it mostly due to your own incompetence and ineptitude. Well, why you blame other people, of course. It's not Putin's fault. It's the national traitors in Russia. They're the ones that are undermining our war in Ukraine. Never mind that our our army is and our our military is so unprepared. Never mind that we lied to them as uh, we sent them into Ukraine. Never mind that the Ukrainians are... Uh, fighting back like nobody's business to maintain their sovereignty and their country and their, their culture. Never mind that we didn't take any of that into account. We just saw that we wanted to get the band back together. Sounded good. Get the Soviet Union back together. So let's just go and invade a, another country here. Yeah. But we'll do it without... Planning because they'll see us rolling in and they'll just just kind of lay down their weapons and, and roll over for us. None of that was taken into account, I think. And when Putin sent the army in there, it's not his fault. It's everybody else. It's the protesters. It's it's whoever the national traitors. It's their fault that we're getting our ass kicked in Ukraine. Not ours. Not mine. Not Vladimir Putin's contrast that with here it's just like nothing is our elected officials fault and that's both sides both of them point the fingers nothing's ever their fault no it's it's climate change it's it's the unjabbed. it's 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 a pandemic of the unvaccinated or it's the white supremacists not our fault though we're the only ones you know, we're the ones out here with the you know propagandizing and and putting this out there and and we're the ones that have degraded the schools to the point that everybody uh, is weak-minded and listens to the, the crap we spew and takes it as gospel truth. Not our fault, though. Not the politicians' fault. Now, all this is just a hallmark of an authoritarian official and an authoritarian regime. Nothing is ever their fault. It's everyone else's fault. We, we're possibly, we're the elite. We're the experts. We know what we're doing. It's someone else's fault because our ideas that you know were baked up based on some narrow, distorted worldview of what we think could happen because we don't actually talk to anybody outside of our our little circles we run in. It can't possibly be our fault. Now, I, I'll say this too. I am truly concerned for the Russian people because of these remarks. It, 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 I was concerned for them before, but now these remarks um make me even more concerned putin is absolutely unhinged ukraine is going poorly russians are upset with what is happening in their country russians are upset that their soldiers their family members are being by all accounts slaughtered by the ukrainians the last number i saw is it's potentially 15000 russian soldiers have died in what, four or five weeks here now? You could characterize Putin's grip on power as slipping. And because of that, what does that mean for those he's outlining as traitors and scum? What do authoritarians do when you back them into a corner? Or more aptly, when they have back themselves into a corner because they're the ones that, with their short-sightedness and their, their just... Outsize egos, they're the ones that back, have backed themselves into the corner. What happens when that, When or what does that mean in this speech, in the context of the speech for those people, those Russian citizens, that Putin is outlining as traitors and scum? We already know that he's poisoned and attempted to poison those in opposition to him. We know that he's jailed those um, those types of people, unjustly will he turn that sort of uh mindset on the russian people and mass will he jail his oppo- opposition will he attempt to poison those that are leading opposition those with the biggest voices i would say it's not outside the realm of possibility i like i said at this point i am concerned for the russian people as well especially those who are bravely stepping out in public opposition to Putin. He is hellbent on returning Russia to its Stalin days. And it's becoming more and more likely he will use whatever tactics he needs to use to get that done. And now my la- the last ad I have on this. And, of course, the writer of the article was able to get Biden to put down his butterscotch pudding long enough to make a statement, a statement that we all will see as the usual hypocrisy. Now, Biden's statement went like this. So from the article, it said this. President Biden said on Wednesday that Putin is a war criminal, and the rhetoric the Russian leader used was strikingly similar to the language that authoritarians have deployed to demonize, persecute, and kill ethnic minorities and political opposition groups. Well, nothing like calling the pot or nothing like the pot calling the kettle black here, eh, Joe? Biden should have said the language Putin used was strikingly similar to language that has been used here in the regime's attempt to coerce the population into compliance with a march toward their utopia that is devoid of truth and absolutes and is run by authoritarian experts, in quotes. Biden once again proves that he's not a serious person. All right, we'll finish up today with a little economics news. And maybe more of a little economics lesson, let's call it. All right, Modern Monetary Theory, or MMT. Now, for those of you not familiar, in a nutshell, MMT states that if you need the money as a government, just go ahead and print it. Just print it. The consequences of doing so are immaterial. We know everything. (laughs) Everything has a consequence. And consequence doesn't have to be bad. There's good consequences, too. I think consequence gets a a negative connotation at times. As a parent, you certainly use consequences in a negative connotation. But it doesn't have to be a negative connotation. You could have a good consequence as well. Like, I help somebody. uh, The consequence is their day is brighter and I feel better about myself. Now, though, getting back to this, what, what are the consequences of just printing money and, and, and thinking that, well, anything that comes from printing a bunch of money, it doesn't matter. It's immaterial. Well, what's the problem with this thinking? Well, for starters, there is no consideration to the consequence of printing a bunch of money, period. They, they, it's right there in a statement, right? It's, well, we'll print a bunch of money and whatever happens from printing a bunch of money, doesn't matter. So what happens when you have extra cash, extra money supply out there, especially especially when it's in the hands of a governmental body that has no regard for how the money is spent? Well, demand goes up. Uh, demand goes up whether you distribute that money out to the citizens like they did with all these COVID, bloated COVID pork bills. It does so when the government prints a bunch of money for themselves. Demand goes up. You have to spend that money somewhere. People want to spend that money somewhere. Now, on its face, this sounds good, right? Let's print a bunch of money, increase demand. But the question that doesn't get answered is how will that demand be satisfied? Companies plan for and size their business operations based on – consideration of how the markets will play out as they they currently are a, a free market right that's how companies plan for their business needs their operational needs they don't take into account that the government will pump in a bunch of money that's going to drive demand through the roof over and above what we've sized our manufacturing plants to do or over and above what we've sized from a service standpoint, a hotel to hold in, in terms of occupancy. Once you overinflate the money supply into the market, that causes demand to rise over and above the productive capacity of the market, leading to what we have seen over the past couple of years now with supply shortages, supply chain issues, and now massive inflation. It, it leaves no room, no margin whatsoever when you inflate Uh, artificially inflate demand like this by increasing the money supply for anything to go wrong in the supply chain. Now, another tenant of MMT is the fact that governments with fiat currency will not go bankrupt unless they choose to do so. They can just print money to cover their debts. Now, like everything that's cooked up in the, uh, by the residents of these ivory towers with no actual practical experience or application of these theories they cook up in their ivory towers. It sounds pretty good, right? At least it did to them. Well, let's just print money. Let's just hand out money. And, oh, you know what, if governments with fiat currency, have a bunch of debt, no matter, they're not going to go bankrupt unless they say we're going to go bankrupt. Under this theory, our debt is actually nothing because we could just print up a bunch of cash tomorrow, should we have choose to do, and pay all of our debts. And our national debt problem is solved. So there you go. Let's print up $30 trillion. Done. No more national debt. Make no mistake. The U.S. dollar is a fiat currency at this point. It became such after the gold standard was dropped we have no limiters. We have nothing backing our money that, that makes it something that's a finite entity at this point. We have no limiters on how much money we can have in circulation at this point. So what's the problem here? Well, it's this. Again, simple economics... That the buffoons in our government, that Janet Yellen, who's supposed to be an economist of some sort, doesn't seem to grasp. What happens to the value of something when it is very common or in plentiful supply? The value of it drops. The more there is of something, the less value it has to someone because they can get it whenever they want. Basic Pricing laws, basic supply and demand laws. It applies to money. You can apply the same thinking as you might have with widgets to money. What happens when the supply of money is increased? The value of what we hold in cash goes down. So if our government were to print the $30 trillion it owes and pay off the debts, our economy would absolutely collapse. The sheer volume of dollars out there at that point would render the value of the U.S. dollar almost nil. It would have no value there would not be enough resources to absorb that kind of influx of U.S. dollars into the economy, into the world economy. I'm not just talking the, the United States economy. I'm talking the world of economy. Money, like widgets, is a finite resource. The only difference between the two is money can be created at the snap of your fingers. We no longer have to send it to printing presses. There could be a a zero-day lag in getting more money into the system. It takes no raw materials or labor to make money at this point in today's digital age. You can just create it with a few keystrokes on the, on, uh, the computer. The same isn't true for the goods and services that would be needed, that we would need to create in order to absorb that type of money supply. We're struggling with it now. Imagine how how much worse off we would be if you inject $30 trillion into the world economy. The option here that we are left with in order to soak up the money supply is to raise interest rates. It's why I've been saying for a while now to refinance your long-term debt. The rate of inflation we are seeing now means we quite possibly could see a return to high single or even double-digit interest rates in order to get it under control. Our inflation last count was 7.9%. You need to get the money, con, uh, money supply dried up. And the, the way that's done is through interest rates, which, as we know, for the last 20 years now, the Fed has held interest rates at near zero. Or is it ten years? I forget now. It all runs together. Whether it was the housing crash that they lowered it, or whether it was after September 11th. At, at any rate, it's been minimum a decade. We've we've had near zero interest rates, which means the cost of borrowing is basically nothing. Which means just create more money and put more money out there. What does that mean if we have a return to high single or even double digit interest rates? It means the, the the collapse of housing markets. People won't be buying people with adjustable rate mortgage mortgages are going to go belly up that much faster because they're they're locked in now for uh, on those adjustable mortgages for, you know, whatever it is, two, three, five years. That'll come due. They're not going to be able to pay it because they bought uh, a house way over their means because they were able to get it on a two, three or five year uh, adjustable rate interest. Uh, which was really low, but now it'll be really high. We're going to have a bunch of houses out there for sale or attempting to be sale, maybe more of like foreclosures. What else does it mean? It means that investment markets, when you have single or or high single double-digit interest rates, that means the investment markets dry up. By that, I mean business market, uh, business investments, companies investing in new equipment, expanding their, their operations, hiring people, that, that's all going to dry up. It's—it's it's certainly leads to a recession and absolutely job losses. Could lead to a depression, who knows? I mean, it, it depends on how quickly the bureaucrats and elected officials, both sides again, both sides because Republicans voted to pump all this money into the economy too, Both sides, how quickly they pull their head out of their ass and decide that we need to do the tough thing. And that's tighten our belt. Once again, we've allowed experts to dictate policy to sell our decision makers on the new shiny thing when the old reliable thing worked just beautifully. Fiscal responsibility, the gold standard, reasonable interest rates to control the flow of money into the marketplace so we let we we let political expediency take precedence over truth and absolutes i want to get reelected this uh, just a, another case for term limits i want to get reelected so yeah let's just spend a bunch of money we don't have because here peasants take this money and shut up that's the attitude that's been and, of course, as is par for the course, it's not the elites or the ivory tower types who will be affected by these bad decisions. It's you and I, the working class. Now, we have midterms this year. One of the things we need to be looking for is candidates who will be fiscally responsible. That's got to be on the list. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's one, two, or even top three, but it needs to be on the list. If a candidate does not have a satisfactory plan, especially if a candidate does not have any plan on how to get inflation under control, on how to get spending in control, they need to be discounted as a candidate, period. Don't even, if they're in a primary, don't even vote them through the primary. We'll begin, at that point, what's the difference? You stick with the swamp creature or you put someone else in that's got the same swamp creature attitude. You know, certainly I think this has to be a top five issue. We need to be fiscally responsible. We need to have inflation under control. Inflation is a tax on the poor, period. It affects them a lot more than those that are more well off. It shrinks their available income much more than those who are more well off. Now, it's not going to be a politically popular message as far as the solutions go, but we need to be willing to endure tough times to get our fiscal house in order. A candidate willing to be candid and upfront with that message is the one that deserves our vote. The damage is already done. We need to elect people who will realize what caused the damage and be willing to fix it, no matter how politically unpopular it will be. Friends. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth.